Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Hey, I want to invite your attention to Acts chapter 9. Uh, this morning, and uh, we're going to be reading something out of there. Um, how many of you have ever been repelling before? Raise your hand up in here. You've been repelling. Okay, that's about maybe 10% of us. How many of you know what repelling is? Well, no, you know what repelling is. I'm going to explain it to you a little bit. Um, repelling is something that you do with a rope that's about uh, this, believe it or not, it's about this thick, and I'm going to ask my helpers to come up here. And we're going to start this right now. And you're all going to kind of have to see this. But repelling happens with a rope that's about this thick. And what happens is, and you guys are just going to tie that and then just start going and doing what you're going to do. Kenzie, you can come on up here. Is Kenzie here? Come on up here, sweetie. Kelsey will tell you what to do. She's good at that. Okay. All right. So uh, that was a compliment, believe it or not. It was a compliment. Okay. So when you get this rope, take it and pass it all the way back. Make sure every one of these ropes gets to the back of the room and kind of seeds through our people a little bit, okay? Um, but do me a favor. It's attached to the pulpit. Don't pull it hard, Kevin, okay? Because it'll, you know, it'll do that. So what happens with repelling is you get this apparatus on your body and you step through it. Um, and you pull it up and it's very, very uncomfortable and it's really not that... It uh, doesn't really do too much for your body. It's not something you'd wear all the time, right? So you step into this harness. It goes in and out. I was going to wear one this morning, but it's super weird looking. And then what you do is you go to the side of it. You, you hook it up to these carabiners and all these other things. Run it all the way back as far as you can. Good job. And you get to the side of this mountain. You, you, you kind of climb over the side, and you sit. Not my better side. You sit inside this thing. And you lower yourself down to the ground. Um, it's amazing. A few years ago, I had a pastor friend of mine take me uh, to go repelling. And when he took me to go repelling, uh, he said, hey, I want you to go repelling with me. It's going to be down the, uh, the, the face of a 90-foot cliff. And, uh, and I said, what are you talking about? And he explained to me what it was. I'd never heard of it before. And he explained to me what it was. And when he told me what it was... I just said to him, well, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if you're going to find the, the apparatus that's going to go around my body good enough because at the time I was bucking about 370 pounds. Okay, that was 100 pounds ago. But, um, so I was a pretty big boy, didn't think I could do it, but he explained it to me. He, it was kind of funny because he said, you're right. I don't know where in the world we're going to find a harness that's big enough for you. And God is my witness. He said, oh, you know who you can use? My wife's. I said, let's not tell her you said it that way, okay? Let's keep that with us. Hopefully, he's not watching this morning, and he's not going to have marital trouble. So uh, we went rappelling, and it, was, I, I, it took me, once he got me to, he was holding on to me, and I'm on the side of the cliff, and I'm looking down. It's 90 feet down. I've got four girls. My youngest, Emily, was only about 10 days old at the time I was doing this. It felt like a really bad decision for a father of young kids, Okay. He assured me, took me probably about eight or ten minutes to get the guts enough just to kind of get out there and let that rope, this thin, this tiny felt like, 
hold my body. I had to wear gloves and all these other things, a helmet. Like, what's a helmet going to do if you fall 90 feet? I have no idea. Make it easier for the cleanup afterwards. I don't know. But so, and I did it. I went down the side of that cliff, and I was so proud of myself. And, and my friend, the, uh, my, my pastor buddy said, hey, let's do it again. I said, no, I'm good, man. We did it one time. I know I can do it. We are good. But there were some principles about that rope, and he really had to show me this. Uh, first of all, the rope had to be strong enough to hold the object that was being lowered. Uh, I asked him, I said, I'm just going to tell you right now, dude, I am very, very scarily close and with winter clothes on close to 400 pounds. And I think in our community, we would say that that person is a biggin. Is it okay to say, Gilmer, Texas, where they say biggin with that Chris, okay? So that's a big boy right there. He said, listen, this rope is tested for a thousand pounds. You and I could ride it together. We didn't do that. I promise you we didn't do that. But the rope has to be strong enough to hold the object that is being lowered. Secondly, the rope has to be held by more strength and weight than is on the bottom of the rope itself. For instance, the, the anchor that we had to tie this rope off to at the top of this cliff had to weigh more than 375 pounds. It had to be pretty strong to hold my weight so it wouldn't move, okay? Would you, you all understand that? And then thirdly, the rope has to be long enough to reach. So he assured me. He said, watch. And he took that rope, and he threw it off the side of that mountain, and I saw it. It was really cool looking. Unfurl all the way down to the bottom, and there was plenty of rope there. I just wanted to make sure that I was halfway down the mountain, the point of no return. There was more rope that was going to help me get to the bottom of the mountain. Does that make a little sense to you? So I want to read a story for you in Acts chapter 9. <coughs> in Acts chapter 9, a guy that you've heard of, his name we know we refer to uh, today, this is Paul, because God changed his name to Paul after he was saved. But before he was Paul, he was Saul. I don't know why God did this except to maybe parallel this to the understanding that when somebody gets married, they'll change their last name. It's kind of one of those, it's kind of a new start. Today's the day you become somebody new, and that's kind of what happened to Paul. But before God gave him the name of Paul, his name was, he was born with the name of Saul. Saul was a very, very strict religious Pharisee. In the beginning of Acts chapter 9, if you want to go back and read this later today, Saul was getting on the back of a donkey or a horse to ride up to a city called Damascus. In the previous few chapters, there was a man in the church whose name was Stephen. Stephen stood up on the steps of the temple one day, preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. The people took Stephen out of that city. He was the first recorded martyr uh, in the word of God. Took him out of that city. They stoned him. They took the clothes off of his body. And the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that they laid him at the feet of a man whose name was Saul. Saul was part of the, part of the group, the leadership group, that was responsible for the death of Stephen, the first martyr in the New Testament. Well, Saul gets on the back of this donkey to ride up to Damascus, and as he's riding up to Damascus, a light shines down from heaven, and he hears a voice. The light shines so brightly, it knocks him off of the donkey. I actually heard somebody speak this message one time, that the strength and the voice and the power of Jesus is so strong, 
when you hear his voice, it'll knock you right off of your, and they use the other word for donkey, which I'm not going to do today. Because my wife is in here, so I'm not going to do that and get yelled at after church. Knocks him off of the donkey. He hears this voice. Saul, why are you persecuting me? What are you doing? Why are you coming after me like this? I am the one. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, blah, 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 blah. And he goes on to share that story of, of who he was. And that day, Saul's life changed dramatically. He accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And then you read after uh, he, he was blinded by that. He, he, God talks to a man named Ananias and said, listen, I've got a guy that I want you to go and baptize. I want you to help him out. His name is Saul. Ananias thought it was a trick. Hey, Saul's the guy that's persecuting people. If I see him, he's going to have me stoned like he did Stephen. What are you talking about, Lord? And God said to Ananias, uh, Jesus said to Ananias, and this is after he ascended up into heaven, he was speaking to Ananias. He said, this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, their kings, the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. So Saul had this calling on his life. He was going to take the gospel uh, to, to, the, to the reaches of the world. And we're going to talk about some of that impact today. But as this happened to Saul and his fame started to spread, in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to start reading in verse number 19, it says, after taking food, Saul regained his strength. He spent several days with his disciples, with the disciples, in Damascus. Now I'm thinking, right, he's with the disciples that knew he was the guy that was responsible for the death of Stephen. I'm thinking the disciples are going, okay, who's going to talk to this guy? Because as soon as we're talking about Jesus, huge level of distrust, trying to figure out. Of course, you know, nothing is impossible with God. They understood that. But he's sitting there with the disciples. And then the Bible says in verse 20, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now this is literally, my kids say that all the time when they really want me to understand what they're saying. Dad, today is literally two weeks ago, right? This is two weeks ago. Dad, today is literally the hottest day of the year. I said, you're right, it is. And then two days ago, Dad, today is literally the coldest day of the year in Texas, right? So they really, to emphasize things, they say this word to me all the time, uh, literally. Um, the Bible says that once he began to preach the synagogues uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, and those who heard him were astonished, and they said, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to trick them as prisoners to the chief priests. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful. And it baffled the Jews living in Damascus. By proving that Jesus was the Messiah. After many days had gone by. There was a conspiracy among the Jews. Just like there was among the Jews to kill Jesus. There was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill uh, Saul. But he learned of their plan. And day and night they kept close watch of the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, put him in a basket, and lowered him through the opening in a wall. Um, there's some, under, some neat things to understand about this story. Um, these folks that wanted to save Saul's life, right? 
Uh, they knew the Jews were coming after him. And they kind of, you know, it's kind of a dilemma for them because they kind of understood why. Right? Paul was, I mean, Saul went out and had, had Stephen killed. And now he's just like this total change. And it's, it implies this in the scripture that uh, Saul was doing this, proclaiming the name of Jesus, almost in a way to be a spy, to see who would come, so that when they came, he could trick them all and get them arrested and have them killed. But the Bible says that he grew stronger and stronger and stronger in the Lord, and then these folks came to help him when people came out to have him killed outside of the city. Now, if you understand the city of Jerusalem, historically, it's surrounded by walls. And those walls are very significant. If you see uh, any kind of uh, cities or, or, or kingdoms in Europe or kingdoms that are built throughout the world, many of those castles will have these really, really very impressive walls around them. Jerusalem had this very impressive wall. And what the plan was is when they came after Saul to help him escape, they would put him in a basket attached by some ropes and they lowered him down outside of the city so that he could escape and go to where he needed them to go. And these men that were there to help Paul, seemingly an insignificant job. Okay, we're going to help this guy because what he's doing is so much more important. We've got to get him so that he could do what he's supposed to do. Um, holding on to the rope. That's what we're, that's what we're called to do today. And, and, and this is, I'm going to talk to you today about holding the rope. And about the significance and importance it is for all of us uh, to hold on to the rope of, of, of what the Lord has entrusted us to in this ministry. I want to talk to you about why we need to hold on to the rope. We hold on to the rope because, like Paul, there's someone very important on the end of the rope. Uh, Paul was pretty significant. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but these guys were lowering him down to save his life. There was, but there was two sets of important people on that rope that day. There was not only the future apostle Paul, but there was these folks who were fathers, who were brothers, who may have been other disciples, who were just people, that grabbed onto that rope, lowered that rope, and saved Paul's life, which was extremely important. But here's what was significant about this story in particular. Uh, the importance of someone on the other end. Paul needed some help. How many of you in your life, and I'm going to see every hand raised here in a second if you're going to be honest this morning, have ever needed help in your life at any kind of time? Raise your hand up in the air. I've needed help in my life. I've needed help. I needed a haircut a couple weeks ago. Didn't know where to go. Looked it up online. Met a friend. And he cut my hair. And it was the handsomest I've ever been in my life for that moment. A little shout out to my buddy. We all need help. Man, we need help sometimes. And you know who your friends are, right, when you ask for help, right? Uh, one of the worst asks you could ever have anybody ask you in the help department is, Hey... We're moving. Can you help us? And suddenly you'll find a gazillion things to do, right? That's the curse of the ownership of the pickup truck. If you've got a truck, somebody bought something at Nebraska Furniture needs picking up. If you have a truck, somebody needs something picked up for you, uh, for them somehow, somewhere. And boy, it just becomes one of those things where you find yourself helping a lot. But Paul also not only needed help, he needed support and he needed protection, right? 
That was a big trust getting in that basket while they were lowering the basket down. He really trusted, listen, he trusted those guys. He trusted the rope. And he also trusted the basket. Right? Pretty significant. And holding on to the rope is extremely significant for those guys because they had the life of this man in his hands. And it may have seemed like a menial task. It may have seemed that way. Let's presuppose that there were five guys on the rope. The Bible doesn't say that. It just said men. Well, let's say there were five guys. If Paul weighed, and I like to think that Paul weighed 275 pounds, even though he didn't. But let's say that Paul weighed 275 pounds. It probably would have taken four, maybe five guys to lower him down so it wasn't a super strain. Like I talked to you about it earlier, when you're lowering a rope, the person that's lowering the rope really can't weigh the same as the person that's being lowered because you need the strength and the stability not only to keep yourself still, but to let that person down. Now, somebody really, really, really strong might be able to do that, but you still need some strength behind you. So there were probably four or five guys. And with four or five guys on that rope, if they were one of the four or five guys on that rope, they may have thought... As a single person on this rope, lowering this dude down in a basket, and is what I'm doing really significant? And they may have thought in their mind, you know what? They don't really need five guys to do this. This is a little bit of an overkill. Maybe they could just have four guys because, you know what? I've, my kid's got a soccer game today. I can't be lowering this dude off the side of the hill. I've got some other responsibilities that I need to take care of. I've got some things in my life that are pressing, that are keeping me from being here to hold on to the rope. And holding on to the rope that day for a couple of those guys, one of those guys, or maybe a few of those guys, may have felt like it was very insignificant to do that. But they were lowering this guy who would someday write almost half of the New Testament. They didn't understand that. They were lowering this guy that would take the gospel, and this is something to really think about, thousands of miles across the region of that world, you ready? With no car, with no train, with no American Airlines frequent flyer miles, God bless American Airlines, right? With ships, but not ships with the kind of engines that we have today, ships that had mega sails, Ships that had people down in the bottom, I guess it's called the hull of the boat, I don't know, but it's in the bottom basement part of the boat with big oars coming out and these guys are rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. And it wouldn't take him two or three hours with some stops in between. It would take him days, weeks, and months just to get to some of the places he was getting to. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand that this guy who would soon be named the Apostle Paul, would preach the gospel, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people would come to know Christ as Savior. They didn't understand that he would meet the king of the region of Jerusalem and Tarsus, and even Caesar himself one day in Rome. They didn't know that they were lowering this guy down that had so much significant and future historical prominence when it came to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. They just lowered the guy down. He got out. They said, love, peace, and chicken grease. And they went back and did the things that they did. They didn't understand that. 
And you know what? I think that's true for us. Sometimes we feel that the things we do are very menial, especially when it comes to the kingdom of God. You know, you may think that, oh, it's really, is being a greeter at the door that big of a deal? I mean, I'm just saying hi to people and opening the door. Is that really a big deal? Um, is helping out with the kids' ministry a big deal? I mean, it's, you know, kids, ah, so I'm going to get up. And I think about this, too. I really appreciate all. If you have kids this morning, give your kids' workers an attaboy today. Because you know how you got up and got ready to church and you're sitting in here listening to this message this morning and you got to worship earlier as we continue to worship through the Word of God? They got up, got dressed to watch your nasty kids. I'm saying that inclusively, okay? I'm not making fun of anybody's kids this morning. I love your children. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. But they're wiping your kids' face off. They're loving your kids this morning. So you could sit here in church today. I think what our kids' workers do is extremely important on Sunday morning. Parents say amen. You're with me. It's, but you know what? Sometimes when you're in the midst of that, when you're in the nursery rocking somebody's baby, when you're in the twos or you're in the threes or you're in the five through whatever year olds watching junior church, you may think, you know what? We, there's, another, there's enough adults in here. They don't need me today. It's not that big of a deal. And I think Satan likes to use this tool of making us feel very insignificant about the things that we do every day. Like they're menial tasks. You know, and everybody that's part of this church and everybody that's a volunteer in this church and everybody that helps out in any level in this church is very, very important. You are significant. You're no less significant or more significant than I am with the responsibility that I have for the church. Uh, on Facebook, I, I, I left a message this week, and it was, you know, I've, I've, it's been um, described to me as ominous, and what's going on, and I had some people ask me some questions this morning, and um, I'm going to talk to you about that this morning, but it's all good, because I think it's going to be something God's going to do really cool in our church. Um, a couple weeks ago, and it's been kind of a strange month for Kim and I, <coughs> uh, personally, uh, I asked the church to pray for Kim. Uh, we, she, had a, she had a biopsy done. Uh, it's girl stuff. Girls talk to her after church. I don't want to get into it. Somebody say amen to that, okay? So but anyway, she, she, she did a test. The doctor kind of talked to us. It might be cancer, this, 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 and this. It's not cancer. She's scheduled to have surgery. Uh, this was scheduled to have surgery this Thursday. Insurance fund. That surgery's been moved to November the 5th. But we really see God's um, um, presence in that and, and, his, and even his guidance through moving that. Because at the same time, I went to the doctor, right? Welcome to 50. So I went back to the doctor. And I go every six months uh, to my cardiologist because I had a heart attack four years ago this September. And when I had uh, the heart attack, that entered me into the world of being a regular at the cardiologist's office for the rest of my life every six months. So I went for my checkup, and I had my uh, EKG, I think, and, um, and a sonogram. And I got a call back, hey, you need to go get a stress test. There's some irregularities. So I went back and had the stress test. Was really feeling, he said, you know, it's going to be kind of an athletic thing, so we're some sneakers and some stuff you're comfortable walking in, right? So I'm wearing gym shorts and some cool sneakers, and my son-in-law would have been very proud of the way I was Nike geared up that day, had my hat on backwards. I was like, you know, ready for this test. I was going to kick its butt. And I walked in to have the test done, and I felt like I was at the Senior Citizen Center of Richardson where I was 
one of the 35 92-year-old people that were in the room there that day. It was very affirming. So, I, and I'm not, I'm not disrespecting. It was just kind of one of those things. I'm like, ugh, don't make fun because you're now one of them. It's all good, right? So I had my stress test, and I got a call on Thursday, and I have um, three blockages. And on Tuesday, I'm going to go in and have... Um, Heart catheterization, I'm sorry, it's my medical helper over here. I'm going to have heart catheterization on Tuesday, and they're either going to do um, three stints or they're going to do heart bypass surgery on me on Tuesday. That's the news. That's all of it. Wrapped up, everything's good. Because you know what? We trust the Lord. My life is in his hands, and I know that. And, uh, and, and we, we, are, um, we feel confident about it. I mean, I know that publicly I'm going to say that. I'm sure on Tuesday morning when I'm supposed to be at the hospital about 8 or 9, I'm sure on Tuesday morning I'm going to get up like at 2 in the morning and there'll be the, my little 5 or 6 hour worry time. But I feel good about it. I know, I'm, I know the Lord's going to take care of this. It's not, I don't want to be over dramatic. It's not the worst thing in the world that can happen because I really think, I mean I've noticed that my, uh, I've had some chest pains over the past month. I've been real short of breath recently, very lethargic. And I, I kind of have seen it coming a little bit. But, um, you know, uh, as my dear friend, I was, with, I was at a men's retreat a couple years ago, and they did this big game. And um, they, they, they did this kind of like at youth camp. They passed guys on top of a mattress to the back of the room, back to the front of the room. You know what I'm talking about? To see which section could pass the people faster. And one of the guys fell off, split his head open, had to get like 30 stitches and my friend, who you've seen speak in this church before, his name is Anthony, he gets up in front of everybody and says, hey, this guy's okay, he went to the hospital, had 30 stitches, he fell, it is what it is, right? You can do that with guys, they're like, oh, okay, everything's fine. You can't do that in a room full of women, right? You have to be careful. But I don't want you to think, listen, I'm not preaching today about Ed Trinkle, because this is not about me. You're going to understand that in a second. Um... What's important about this church is that we all do what we're supposed to do. I'm probably not going to speak next Sunday, but I'm looking forward and planning on being in church next Sunday. Uh, but my friend Kevin Teeman, one of my best buddies in the world, is going to be speaking next Sunday. And you're going to love, um, and if you were going to say no, you kind of have to do it now. But you're going to have, you're going to love Kevin, <laughs> former missionary to India. This guy is like a renaissance man. He's done everything. He's just amazing. Um, He's just a godly, godly man that I love very much, and he's a dear, dear friend. He's going to be speaking next Sunday, and this place should be filled next Sunday because we don't come here for me. And I want to say a couple things about that to you, church, and I'm not saying that uh, my buddy Chris came up to me and said, hey, you're going to yell at us on Sunday? I kind of feel like I'm getting called to the principal's office. No, I want, you to, I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to tell you why. If I need to miss a couple weeks... That should be okay. I don't want to miss a couple weeks. I mean, think about my situation of being home with my wife who takes the best care of me in the world and my four daughters that are going to be absolutely amazing and wonderful and by the third day driving me crazy if I'm not getting better, okay? Okay. Um, I don't want to be out. I don't plan on being out, but I also have to know that I have to plan on everything here doing and being what we're supposed to do as a church. We can't stop because one man is down for a little bit. We can't stop 
serving in the kids' ministry and being at the doors and being in the places where God has called us to be. That's an anointing. That's a calling. It's significant. What you do matters for the Lord. And what what I want to encourage you this morning to understand is we need a bunch of people holding the rope. Now, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I'm not making this about lowering me down. Because here's what I want to tell you. The rope that you're holding is the rope that's holding on to the church. This is what's important. The gospel being shared here every week and every day we open up the doors here. Children hearing about Jesus on Sunday. Spanish folks in about 45 minutes hearing about Jesus on Sunday in this room. Our Chinese friends right across the hallway hearing about Jesus on Sunday. Our students hearing about Jesus on Wednesday nights. Are people coming in and learning that Jesus loves them and gave himself for them and will give them purpose and eternity of a relationship, but a relationship that we all need so much, so desperately today. And if you think that what you do doesn't matter, what you do matters. Once or twice a month in the children's ministry is a big deal. Don't fall into that lie that Satan says to you, I can miss a life group, it's not that big a deal. And I can miss this, it's not that big a deal. You don't hear me get up in front of the church too much and say, you better come four times a month or else. Oh, that's scary, scary stuff. But I want to tell you, there's something significant about faithfulness. That's not something we reward, we appreciate it. But God rewards faithfulness and he's called all of us to be faithful Saying hi to people at the door makes a difference in somebody's life. Giving somebody a hot cup of coffee before church makes a difference in somebody's life. Waving hi and helping people park and telling them which doors to go into because we haven't bought signs yet for our property. That makes a difference in somebody's life. Playing the piano or singing or playing the guitar or playing the drums. And by the way, I like the drums on the side way better than in the middle. I'm just going to say that this morning, okay? squirrel so it makes a difference but here's kind of our mentality you know we have people that are so faithful when it comes to giving and we've been talking about this all month and I think sometimes we get the mentality one of my favorite movies that that I like to watch and it's one of those movies I've seen probably about 20 times is the matrix How many of you know the Matrix movie? Raise your hand up. Okay, how many of you don't like it? Raise your hand up. Don't be mad at me, okay? Real quick illustration about the Matrix. Love this movie. So Neo, right? He's the guy, Keanu Reeves. Probably not the sharpest pencil in the box, but he's, you know, he's pretty cool. Better in John Wick, but we'll talk about that later. So anyway, he's Neo, right? He's Neo. He's understanding his powers. And one thing that happens, and it's not a true story, so don't get freaked out. He starts to kind of get in his head of how really powerful he is in this Matrix weird world that never existed and it's really stupid but it's cool to watch. And there's a big, big helicopter about to fall and he looks and has this moment and then he takes the rope and he wraps it around his body and he holds it and he stops the helicopter from crashing to save Morpheus. It's awesome, right? And I think sometimes... We want or we want to depend on people like Neo, right? We want the guy, the the, the guy that's going to come in and save the day, right? Uh, For a church, you know, we're talking about raising money to pay off our electric 
uh, construction stuff or we're, we're trying to get our construction all finished off, paid for because we want to do stuff out there and we want to do, we, we want to do stuff to make our church more effective as a tool in God's hand to reach people for Jesus Christ. But here's, here's the mentality of a lot of people, not just in our church, but in churches everywhere. Well, what I'm doing doesn't make a difference, but man, I hope Neo can come in. Right? And save the day. We want that one superhero to come in with Superman's cape or the Neo cool black sunglasses and awesome black leather jacket and come in and save the day because we feel that our little bit that we do doesn't really matter. And I want to tell you this morning, in the kingdom of God, it matters. It matters. Satan wants us to think that what we do is insignificant. Especially, I really think, when it comes to this area of giving, because it's such a personal thing, and it's such a hard thing, not only to talk about, sometimes it's a hard thing to listen to, sometimes it's a hard thing to even consider, because all of us go back to what? What we can do. Well, I understand, I understand, I understand, but the only thing I can do is this. And God doesn't want you to trust in what you can do. God wants you to trust in what he wants to do through you. Because just like God has, is, and will continue to bless this church. I don't want to sound real dark and gloomy, but whether I'm the pastor or not, and I'm planning on staying, I want to be here till I retire. That's my plan. I I want to marry my grandkids in this church. That's my plan right now. But God's plans are different than our plans. But it shouldn't matter if I'm up here on Sunday or if Kevin's up here next week or somebody else is up the week after that. And hopefully I'm back, right, next week if not. But that all shouldn't matter based on personality and preference. It's all about the work of God reaching people with the gospel and saying, you know what? I'm going to do my part and I'm going to hold on to the rope. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do what God's told me to do. I'm going to give sacrificially at times. I'm going to do more than I'm able to at times, but I'll stay faithful as, 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 as God equips me to do so. And I'm going to trust the Lord to do those things. And I know God will do something very special and personal in your life if you stay faithful to Him in those ways. We've spoken all month long about how God rewards and blesses generous people in a way that is beyond our comprehension. A couple years ago when I was a student pastor in Philadelphia, there was a couple in our church and they remind me of, of the people that are spoken of in the end of Hebrews chapter 11 where it talks about the words and the works that were accomplished by certain people whose names are not mentioned and their names are not mentioned because, I'm paraphrasing but you can read it later, because those are folks that this world is not even worthy of. Because of their faithfulness and generosity and belief in God's kingdom work. I knew a couple now. I know families like that here. But one of the first families that ever had an impact on my life this way was a man and a woman named Willard and Alice Dempsey. When I was a teenager in my church growing up, Mr. and Mrs. Dempsey were like 60 years old. So right, understandably so, no hate. Teenagers see 60-year-old people as old. It's not their fault. Because they don't think they're ever going to die or get old. So they don't understand that. 
And as a teenager, I saw Mr. and Mrs. Dempsey. Mr. Dempsey was a bus guy. He drove the bus. She was the bus captain. They stopped at people's houses, picked them up for church. They came out on Saturday to get their bus route ready, got the bus ready, cleaned up, used his own resources to gas the bus up, would visit people all day Saturday. Sunday morning, he'd pick them up for church. He got too old to drive the bus. He couldn't do that anymore, but he stayed faithful. Mr. Dempsey lived on fixed income. He lived in a trailer park by the Delaware River right across the border in Delaware, uh, in Wilmington. When he, when he was living there, apparently he paid it off when he was a younger working man. Never had kids, taught Sunday school class, invested in kids, loved kids. Mr. Dempsey uh, lived on a fixed income. The only income he had after retirement was his 600 and some dollar social security check that he was getting every single month. But to augment his salary, he would go out and go to football games and basketball games and baseball games and public arenas where people would have these big, big gatherings and drink their beer and drink their soda and chuck the can. He would gather all those cans, take them to the recycle center, and this is what Mr. Dempsey did. He started to do that just himself and his old beat-up car um, uh, so much, he gave his entire Social Security check to the church every month and lived off the money he made from recycled cans. Um, and I promise you, his Social Security check was not 10% of what he was making a month. It's probably about 60% of what he was making a month. And I, I didn't understand that until I got a little bit older. And I was back in the church as a student pastor. 20 years later, Mr. and Mrs. Dempsey, still old, right? But now they're in their mid-80s. And there they were every week just staying faithful, staying faithful, staying faithful. The kind of people that this world really isn't worthy of. Some of you know people like that or have experienced people like that in your life. When we replanted Warehouse Church out of Canyon Creek, for 45-ish years, people held on to the rope at Canyon Creek and were many, many, many faithful, unbelievable, great stories of God's faithfulness through many, many years. We replanted out of Canyon Creek as a church family, and 94 people came with us Stayed in the building for about a year and held on to the rope. And we're faithful. And I'm going to tell you, when I say 94 people, 94 people was the people in the auditorium, the kids, the Spanish people, and everybody was running by the church on Sunday morning because we counted everybody we could see. Literally. <laughs> but we had a dream that God would use us to use, to, to use this church to the hundreds of thousands of people that are moving into North Texas from California, from the Northwest, from Chicago, from Wisconsin, from New York City, from Philadelphia, from all over the world that are coming here. This, the world is descending to North Texas region right now. And we want to be a church where people will come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in order to do that, we all understand that we have to do our part and hold the rope. We've got to do our part. And it's not just somebody else's job to do it. I have a job to do. I have a calling. I have a specific responsibility to hold part of that rope for Warehouse Church. But so do you. So do you. And when you consider holding the rope, there's a couple things to understand. Uh, there's a cost. It's not just resources, but resources are part of it. 
there's a cost because the package has value. Paul's ministry and Paul's reach has value, eternal value, lifelong value that's impacted you and I today personally because those five or six guys were there and helped save Paul's life that day. The gospel went into Macedonia. It went into Rome and that, 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 that area of Europe where the gospel would go fluently into those parts of the world. And that part of the gospel came here to the United States and was brought to us by our people, however they got here, rightfully or wrongfully, heard about Jesus, accepted Christ as Savior, because five or six guys thought they were doing something insignificant one day. When they lowered Paul down on that rope, the person in the basket had value. This church has value. It's made a difference. You say, well, I'm already saved, you know, I mean, I hear good messages, and I'm encouraged, and... Sometimes I'm challenged. It's not, you know, it's good. It's just part of church. Church is something I do. But do you know this week that there was people that accepted Christ as Savior because of the ministry of this church? Do you know there are people this week whose lives were impacted eternally because there are, there are ministries that we support in Germany, in Ethiopia, in Guatemala in a couple weeks, and in all over the world that we support doing our part to hold on to the rope so that more people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This ministry has value. But the work itself has value. The actual physical lowering that took place that day had value for those men because they were, they were doing something good that made a difference in one man's life with no understanding of the big picture. And I want you to understand what you do that may seem insignificant, what you do by what, you're, by what you do when it comes to resourcing the church and the ministry here, what you do to encourage people, what you do to make people feel welcome here, what you do with children's and students and life groups and different areas of this ministry, Spanish ministry, what you do has value. And there are things that nobody in the world knows that you do in this church. And that's kind of hard sometimes. Well, that guy gets, man, nobody talked about my heart attack and my this and this. Nobody talked about my family going through sick stuff. And if we've missed that, I'm terribly sorry about that. But I want you to know, don't let Satan speak that yucky stuff into you because you have value and what you do for God's kingdom has value. Whether or not any man or woman recognizes that God sees it. He sees it. He's keeping track, and he's keeping count, and he's going to reward you accordingly, and he's going to bless your life, and he's going to do things in and through you like those guys that day that you have no comprehension of when it comes to eternal things. But here's the other cost. There's more people that need help. We need more people on the rope. Why is money always talked about with ministry? Because we want to use resources to resource ministry to do more. I don't want to say no to missionaries on the phone anymore. That's the suckiest part. Can I say that? That is the worst part of being a pastor. When somehow the missionary figures it out, gets your cell phone from somebody else, that told them not to tell you I gave them your cell phone number, or I pick up the phone, or Kelsey sends me a phone, and a missionary calls, oh, Pastor Ed, can I tell you what God's doing in 
Ethiopia, or God's doing in South Africa, or God's doing here, or God's doing there. And we want to know, if you want to be a part of what God's doing in our country, we want to reach people, we need your help. Oh, buddy, we're going to pray for you. Oh, I hate that sometimes. I love praying for people. But sometimes I feel limited by that. You know what I'm saying? I don't mean that in a way where God's power and grace isn't greater than anything I could do financially. But we talked about it a couple weeks ago. When somebody comes in and is a blessing to your church, your life, your ministry, don't just say, thanks for what you did. Be ye warmed and filled. Go get them, tiger. Don't let the door hit you with a good Lord split you. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be a blessing to them to resource them so they can do what? Go and do more. There's countries in this world that we have to figure creative ways, like in India and in parts of China and in some of the still existing communist countries in the world, that we've got to figure out creative ways to get the gospel in. And you know what that takes? God's people, God's faithfulness, and our resources. God wants to do something in that country, but he wants to use you to help do it. Because why? He wants to bless both. He wants to bless your life, and he wants to do that through the ministry that happens in this church. More people need help. But we can't wait for Neo to come in and save the day. We've all got to do it. This place is strong when all of us are doing something. Somebody a couple weeks ago, next week, I know I'm going to be better next week because next week the Dallas Cowboys play the Philadelphia Eagles. Kelsey threw me under the bus in front of all of you this morning. Had my friend say to me this week, he pastors in Mesquite, he says, let's make a bet. If the Eagles lose to the Cowboys, you have to wear a Cowboys jersey to church next week. No, listen, there is no way, no how... Unless the Lord himself descended from heaven and said, you put that jersey on, sucker. I would do it then. I am not going to compromise my values because I think betting is wrong. That's the principle. I just think betting is wrong. Betting is wrong, so I'm not going to do it. So then he wanted to kind of gig me a little bit. Is that what you say to the A&M people? Gig them, right? They got gigged yesterday, by the way. But gig them. So he started to gig me a little bit. He said... What if Dak Prescott gets the contract, this is what he said, not me, that he deserves by being the highest paid quarterback in the National Football League? How many of you would like that to happen? Let me hear, how many of you would like that to happen? <laughs> so anyway, and he came to your church and said, I'm going to join your church and start tithing here, but you got to wear number four every single week. Here's what I told my friend. I said, I don't think I could do that, but I could pick him on my fantasy football team. That's what I could do. That would be my compromise in that area, so I'm not compromising my personal value system, right? <laughs> but we want that. We don't need the few, the faithful, gladiator, unbelievable, incredible, generous, amazing and that's not by saying money amounts. That's just by saying the, the faithfulness part that God sees that none of us understands. We don't need them to do more on our behalf. We all need to do something. Um, 
We appreciate your prayers this week. Uh, you know, Tuesday's not going to be fun, but it's going to be what it is. And I know the Lord's going to take care of it, and we believe in all that. And uh, he's faithful. He's been so faithful, so I can't even come to you and feel like I'm being shorted or anything like that. God is so, so, so good. And we're so blessed. But I'm telling you this week, my burden, I mean this, and God knows my heart. As soon as this kind of came to me, my first burden in my heart was the health of our church. This has to go on. It has to. Not so we could say we did it, but so we could keep doing what God's called us to do. People need to hear about Jesus. And whether I'm sick or I'm not sick, or they come back and say false alarm, and you look, come up on Sunday and say, hey, were you Jesus juking us? What's going on here? You made it sound like you were dying last week and you're okay. I hope all that happens. Because that doesn't matter. This is what matters. People that are going to be invited by you to come to this church at some time that come through that door and meet a cool greeter and drink a hot cup of coffee and take their kids to a place where they're safe and come in here where the music is awesome and come in here where the, the, the air conditioning works most of the time and listen to a message that hopefully speaks to their heart. God's preparing them for that sacred day and we need to be ready for it and this is how we get ready grab the rope don't count on other people to do it anymore grab the rope let's jump in and do something special for the Lord church let's trust him let's tell him I'm ready let's tell him speak to my heart I'll do it Lord I'm done watching I'm done being mad I'm done this I'm done that. I'm done counting on other people. It's my time to step up. Students, what you do matters. Hey, listen, you ask any other person in this room that's 60 and old, like me-ish. Learn it now. You learn it now, it's way easier to do it when you're 30. It just becomes something you do. You know? Learn it now. And God will take the little bit that you do five loaves of bread and two fishes and feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people because of it, because of you. If you're on a fixed income, I get it. I'm not trying to, we're not trying to bleed anybody today, but trust God with that. Let him do something that's inexplainable that you can talk about and give God honor and praise for. If you're of means, do something unbelievable. If you can do it, Listen to God, whatever he's telling you to do, and do it. But listen, it's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. Thank you for praying for us this week on Tuesday. It's not a huge deal, but we appreciate your prayers. But the most important thing I'm going to ask you to do today is grab onto this rope. Let's keep this thing going. Amen, church? Would you all stand up with me? And if you can... Find a piece of this rope with me this morning, okay? Find a piece of this rope. And I'm going to hold on to this pulpit really tight just in case. <laughs> Be like a sled. <laughs> Pastor body surfing in Warehouse Church today. Father, thank you for our church. Thank you that locally we have seen hundreds of people accept Christ as Savior because of your work here in Plano, Texas. 
We're not exclusive. We're not the only one. We're probably not even the best one. But, but we're yours. And more importantly than the warehouse church name is the name of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would compel all of us to be faithful. Lord, you know the needs of our church. You know that there are people that have gone above and beyond. Crazy. Unbelievable. And I thank you for that and thank you for their faithfulness. But I thank you for the faithfulness of teenagers that give consistently. I thank you for seniors that are faithful and consistent. For young couples that try to make things meet and make... um, sense when it doesn't make sense, Lord. Lord, you are so good to us, and we thank you for your faithfulness. I pray this morning, Father in heaven, that you would do miraculous things through this ministry. Lord, that we would stop talking about finishing up, paying for things that we know we needed to do start getting more excited about building a house in Guatemala in three weeks and supporting missionaries this Christmas with a Christmas offering we have obligations and we want to take care of those obligations Lord but I think sometimes we we feel limited by that and almost feel like we're in this like debtor's prison and we've made responsible decisions and we felt like that we've gone and are doing what you want us to do But I know, Father, it means that all of us need to do what we're supposed to do to accomplish those things. Things that seem so huge and impossible to me, Lord, and to all of us. We have to be reminded of the scripture that says nothing is impossible with God. Lord, our lives, and I'm not the only person in this room that's going through health stuff. I wouldn't even dare to to think that. And this is absolutely not about me. All of our lives are in your hands the day that we were born and the day that we come to see you face to face someday has been anointed and appointed by you. We submit to that because we want to be in the center of your will. But God, I, I, I pray that you'll, just for my family's sake, first and foremost, and also for our church, that this week would be just bless the doctors and all that stuff that's going to happen this week. But Lord, you know my heart, my burden on my heart is the health of this church. And I pray that you would put our church in a place of, of spiritual health, number one, of physical health, of financial health, so that we'll never have to say we can't, we won't, we wish, that we could say we will, we are, and we'll do it. Thank you, Father, and I thank you for this church, and I pray that you'll bless every family that's going through a situation in their life, every burden that's represented in this room. Uh, with health, with finances, with kids, with grandkids, with parents, with grandparents, with personal finances, with jobs, uh, with uh, personal insecurities, with personal demons and battles that they go through, Lord. We pray Jesus' hand on their life today, your power, your healing strength, and your presence to be made, made known in their life today. We thank you, Lord, that we can come before you boldly We thank you, Lord, that we can claim your name and claim victory in your name. We thank you for the breakthrough that's going to happen at Warehouse Church. 
bless us today. We love you and thank you. And everybody say it with me together. Amen. God bless you. You